You're listening to a message from Stonegate Church. For more information about Stonegate and additional audio resources, please visit Stonegate.Church. Okay, so with that said, we're into Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. We're taking another step in this set of sermons called Valleys Fill First, where we have been walking through the Beatitudes. Later on, we'll walk through the rest of the Sermon on the Mount in this set of sermons. That's going to be in 2019, though. So we're just kind of plotting our way through the Beatitudes. And today we're considering the sixth beatitude. You find it in Matthew chapter five, verse eight, Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. Blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. Blessed in this context, it's it's a word that means um, happy. It means full. It means that as a human being, you're flourishing. That's the word blessed in this. Blessed are the pure in heart. Um, you, you, pure in heart has a, has a lot of overlap with the word holy in the scriptures. So, so you could think about Jesus saying in, in this particular passage, I think it should be an accurate sort of translation, happy are the holy, but blessed are the pure in heart. Th- then he makes this promise, for they shall see God. What, what an incredible promise, for they shall see God. We don't deserve that. No one deserves that. But that is exactly what Jesus lived and died and rose from the dead to accomplish for us. He, he, he did all that to, to secure for us a way that we can actually see God, be in the presence of God. This is, this is what the good news of the gospel announces is, is that promise because of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. So I wanna take the next few minutes and just hold this verse up and consider it with you. Think it through with you. And I wanna do that through a couple of questions, three questions. And here's the first one. Let's just ask the question, what is it? When Jesus says pure in heart, the pure in heart, what, what, what does he mean by that? What, what is purity of heart? So, so what is it? And then we're gonna ask the question, am I pursuing it? And then we're gonna get to this last question of, of how are we applying it? Like what, what is this beautiful promise and that incentive that Jesus puts out in front of us? So first question, what, what is it? And I wanna look at these four words in Matthew 5, 8. The pure in heart. Do you see those four words there? I just want to do some work on those four words, the pure in heart. And I want to start with the second of those uh, four words there, the, the in heart part of that phrase, the, the pure in heart. The, those last two words, in heart, in a lot of ways qualify the first two words, what it means and, and where that, that sort of the pure is. It, it's telling us something about the location of purity that Jesus is after. It's telling us something about the type of purity Jesus is after. You might contrast purity of heart with an external sort of purity. And Jesus is saying here, I'm not after an external purity. Rather, I'm after this deep sort of inner purity, this this purity of heart. But in the first century, uh, the prevailing sort of purity paradigm was external. This is how they, and oftentimes how we think about purity. It was purely an external sort of purity. And when Jesus qualifies the the pure within heart, Jesus is confronting that sort of prevailing paradigm. He's saying, that's that's not what I'm after. And and you see this throughout the Sermon on the Mount. Repeatedly, Jesus is, is confronting that prevailing sort of external or outward purity that the Pharisees were propagating. And we're teaching people. He's saying, no, that's, that's not what I'm after. So if you go to the chapter six, one, one chapter later, and in chapter six, Matthew chapter six, verse one, this is one of the moments where Jesus confronts that sort of outward purity that, that when people thought about what sort of purity would God want, 
He's confronting the thought that would say God wants external purity or he's just concerned about what I'm doing out there. And this is what he says in Matthew 6, 1. Jesus says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your father who is in heaven. So Jesus is addressing the, the religious kind of leaders of the day. The Pharisees is, is kind of the, the name they went by. And, and the Pharisees were all about external purity, that they were all about doing the right things. It was all an external outward um, issue of purity. And in a lot of ways, when you see what Jesus is saying here in Matthew 6, 1, at first glance, their purity looked great, didn't it? I mean, Jesus is saying they are practicing righteousness. In other words, there is an outward purity. They, they are outwardly you know, following the rules. They are checking the boxes. They, they are doing a lot of the right things. They are practicing righteousness. And, and that's a good thing, right? I mean, practicing righteousness, we would all wanna do, do that in our life. But Jesus is clarifying that he isn't just concerned with us practicing righteousness on the outside. He's also and primarily concerned about what's happening on the inside. And Jesus is looking at the Pharisees and he's looking at them and he's saying, I see, I know what's happening on the inside. Jesus is looking at the Pharisees and he sees, he knows that their right outward obedience has been perverted by their wrong inner motivation. He knows that, he sees that in them. He knows that their purity is external, not internal. They were doing a lot of the right things, but for a lot of wrong reasons. And Jesus, I mean, just hear that. Jesus sees that. This is what he's confronting them on. That word in heart, or those words in heart are saying, it's Jesus saying, listen world, I see what's going on inside of you. I know that you're about your appearance and out there in this external thing, but I see deep down into your heart. And later in, uh, in Matthew, in chapter 23, Jesus reserves some of his strongest words for these Pharisees, for the people who were practicing external sort of righteousness all the while divorced from like an inner right heart. He says this in Matthew 23, verses 25 through 28. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. He just calls them what they are. That They're practicing outward righteousness while all the while their inner heart is not pure. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. Jesus is saying, I see your heart. I can see through your outward appearance all the way down into your heart. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. For you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate that the outside also may be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. They just lack purity on the inside. They look great on the outside, but they lack purity and cleanness on the inside. So you also outwardly appear righteous to, righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. If you sum up what Jesus is saying here, he's saying this, he's, he's, just, he's just letting us know that he is not impressed by what we appear to be to others. He's not impressed by that. that Jesus sees through our appearances. He sees through our facades. He sees through the mask that we work so hard to develop and to put over our lives so that we can project a better us to other people. Jesus sees all the way through that and all the way down into the bottom places of our souls. 
all the way down into our hearts. Do you remember that moment when Samuel has been tasked by God to go anoint the next king in Israel? Um, God has let Samuel know that Saul is on his way out and a new king's gonna be on the way in. And so Samuel is charged by God to go to Jesse's house. And there he, Samuel meets David and all of David's brothers. And when Samuel gets there, he sees one of David's older brothers and he's like, that's gotta be the man. I'm just saying, if I'm anointing a new king, I just don't know how I'm ever gonna get past that one. That's gotta be the new king. But you remember what God says to Samuel? In 1 Samuel 16, verse seven, it says, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I have rejected him. Now listen to these words from the Lord. For the Lord sees not as man sees. And then God clarifies, this is how we often see. Man looks on the outward appearance. We love to project this sort of like outward facade, right? Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. It's not what we appear to be that matters most, but what we actually are that matters most. I'm gonna just say that one more time and just, by the grace of God, could we wrestle with this a little bit? It's not what we appear to be that matters most. And here's why, because God isn't impressed by what we appear to be. What we actually are is what matters most because that's what God sees. You can impress everybody around you by your appearance, so well put together, but God is actually looking at your heart. Thomas Watson, the old Puritan pastor, commenting on this beatitude, listen to how he said it. He's just, he's just warning us against that outward morality, that sort of outward purity. He, he says it this way. If we must be pure in heart, then we must not rest in outward purity. We just can't rest with, we've got the world sort of like believing that we're a really great person. We've got, a real, we've got this thing put, we just can't rest there, he's saying. Then we must not rest in outward purity. Morality is not sufficient. A pig may be washed, yet a pig still. I mean, that's like vivid imagery there, isn't it? I mean, you, you can do a lot to like dress the pig up, but, but it's still a pig, he's saying. Morality does but wash a man, but only grace changes him. Morality may shine in the eyes of the world, but it differs as much from purity as a pebble differs from the diamond. Morality is but throwing flowers on a dead corpse. A man who is but highly moral, externally pure, man, they've got the external thing going on. A man who is but highly moral is but a tame devil. How many have made morality their savior? Morality will damn as well as heinous vice. A boat may be sunk with gold as well as with dung. Those two words, purity in heart, are alerting us. Jesus is not impressed by our appearance. He's looking all the way down into the heart. Jesus, in in those words, in heart, purity, in heart, he's taking us beyond the level of appearance. And, and can we just all have a, just a moment of honesty before the Lord? We're all facade builders. We're all appearance maintainers. You're doing it, I'm doing it, we're all doing it. And today Jesus is looking at us and saying, I'm just not impressed by it. 
He's taking us beyond appearance. He's pushing us beyond appearance and he's taking us all the way down into that deep swampy interior called the heart. And he's asking us to take a good hard look at our heart and to name what we see there. That's where Jesus is taking us. He says it's purity, but it's purity in heart. Now let's jump to the first two words in that phrase. So you've got the pure in heart. We've dealt with in heart. Now the first two words, the pure. What does that mean? Well, when we, when we use the word pure today, we oftentimes use it in a very similar way that first century people used it. So if I were to come to you and say, that is pure gold, you would have a pretty good idea of what I mean by that. We're using it in a way that's saying it's undivided, right? It's of a single substance. It's one thing. There is no ore in that gold. There is no dross in that gold. It is pure, unadulterated gold. That, that's what it means when we say it's pure gold. Now let's apply that to purity in heart. To be pure in heart means that our heart is of a single substance. It's undivided in its loyalties, in its loves, in its affections, in its desires, in its wants. That that's what purity of heart is. Um, in the middle of the 1800s, uh, Soren Kierkegaard, he was a Danish philosopher, a Christian. He wrote a book or an article, an essay on this particular beatitude. And he named the article, he named the article essentially the definition of purity in heart. This is how he, what he named the article. He said, purity of heart is to want one thing. That's what it means to be pure in heart. It is to want one thing. He's right in that. That, that is what purity of heart is. Now, I think you could think about purity of heart in two different ways. There is a desire aspect of purity in heart and a devotion aspect of purity in heart. So let's start with the desire. To, to be pure in heart means that we desire one thing. Our desire is made of a single substance. We, we desire one thing. The, the pure in heart are not perfect in their desires, but, but they're people whose heart is beating with one overriding desire, one main desire, one desire that then emanates out through every other desire in their life. And that one desire is for God. That, that's what it means to be pure in heart. It means our heart wants God. I, for, for the pure in heart, they're saying along with the psalmist in Psalm 42, one, as the deer pants for the water, so my soul pants after God. Like we, we want God. That's what purity in heart means. That's what it is. For, for the pure in heart, when they're, when they're filling in the blank, the, the one thing I want in the world, like more than anything else, I want this. That, that blank for the pure in heart is, I want more of God. Give me Jesus. That, that, that is purity of heart. This is what it means to have a pure heart. For the, for the pure in heart, they actually love God. Like with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, the pure in heart love God. And that actually confronts us with our problem, with our, with our lack of purity in heart. Um, Augustine, he used to say that, that we're all prone to disordered loves. Now, now what does it mean to, to, to be prone to disordered loves? It's just a way for him to say that, that our hearts are prone to love good things too much and the great thing too little. That, that our hearts are prone to take things down here and to love this thing down here as if it should be way up there. And it's to take the thing that is way up there and to love it like it's a thing way down here. That, that is impurity of heart. But to be pure in heart is to have ordered love. It's to take the, the great thing in the universe, God himself, and to love that great thing with everything in us. That, that our overriding passion and desire and want deep down in the bedrock of our heart is, is for God. 
You know, it's interesting to think about Jesus's first words in the gospel of John. That the first time Jesus speaks any words in the gospel of John, the first recorded words that we have come in, in John chapter one, verse 38. And it's Jesus asking a question. You know what the question is? What do you want? First time he opens his mouth in the gospel of John, it's to ask that question. What is it that you're seeking? What, what, what is it that you want? That question is one of the most important questions we'll ever answer. What is it that we want? Like, what, what are we after? What, what are we seeking in our life? That question lies under virtually every other question that Jesus asks us. Like the question of, um, will you come and follow me? Under that question is the question, what is it that you really want? Do you remember when Jesus, the resurrected Jesus is talking to Peter and he asked Peter, do you love me? Now, now what is under the question of, do you love me? It's the question of, what is it that you really want? Like, like what are you seeking? What, what is it that you want? It's, it's the most fundamental, most important question we can, we can ask about our lives. What is it that we want? The, the answer to that question is animating and energizing all of our lives in ways that we, we don't even know. It's, it's the thing moving us and, and, and spurring us on. What do we want? And for the pure in heart, Jesus is saying, here is the overriding passion. Here's what they want. Jesus, that's what they want. That, that is purity of heart. It's to be pure in desire, that we desire one thing, namely Jesus. That's the desire piece of purity of heart. But it's also, there's a devotion piece. To be pure in heart also means that we're devoted to one thing that we're devoted to one thing. Later in Matthew 6, Jesus addresses purity of heart when he says this. This is Matthew 6, 24. No one can serve two masters. A fairly familiar verse. No one can serve two masters. For either he'll hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So that is saying something about purity of heart. An impure heart has divided devotions. An impure heart has multiple masters. While on the other hand, a pure heart is a united heart. It's, it's sworn allegiance to one master. It has one main devotion through which every other devotion, every other commitment in their life emanates. But there is one overriding devotion in their life and that is to God. That's purity of heart. It's, it, purity of heart is, is a saying to God, God, I am wholly yours, totally and completely yours. I am fully set aside. I, I, I am saying yes to you. You just tell me what that yes means, where, where that yes is gonna take me. But my yes is on the table for you. See, a, a person who is fully devoted to God, like they, they have a pure heart, it, it, it expresses itself by saying this to God. God, I am at your disposal Whatever you want, whenever you want it, yes. That, that is purity of heart. It reminds me of the story of Jim Elliott. Um, some of you have heard me tell this story before, but Jim Elliott and a group of men went down to Ecuador to um, try to get the gospel into a very primitive group of people that were super violent. And if you know how the story goes, you know that soon thereafter, they were all speared to death by this um, very violent tribe. They, they, all these men were killed. And when, uh, when the news was coming back to Elizabeth, she had someone um, sit her down and tell her, Elizabeth, your husband, Jim, died today. And she looked back and, at this person and said, no, he didn't die today. No, he didn't. And this person looked back and said, Elizabeth, yes, Jim died today. 
And Elizabeth looked back again and said, no, no, my husband, Jim, he did not die today. And, and just, again, this, this person grabbed her and said, Elizabeth, like, you need to come to grips with this. Your, your husband died today. And Elizabeth said, no, he didn't die today. He, he died when he was 16 years old and knelt down beside his bed and said, God, waste my life on you. That's purity of heart. God, God, waste my life on you. Purity of heart is, is Paul in Philippians 1.21 when he says to live is Christ and to die is gain. I, God is just, he's not like one of the priorities of my life. No, like he is the overriding priority through which every other priority is filtered. I, he is the thing that that's purity of heart. It's a single devotion. God, I am at your disposal. You win. That, that, that's purity of heart. Now comes question two. Am I pursuing that? Am I pursuing that? In the Beatitudes, Jesus is, is defining what authentic Christianity looks like. So when you, you bump into an authentic Christian, Jesus is sh showing us here that this is what a Christian is and looks like, th these Beatitudes. But that's not the only thing he's doing in the Beatitudes. In, in the Beatitudes, Jesus is also inviting us into life with him. He's inviting us into these beatitudes. He's, he's looking at us and he's, he's, he's wanting us to ask the question. L look at your heart and, and then ask, do, do I see this sort of purity of heart in there? Do I see that? And, and I wanna remind you that God loves for us just to be honest with him. He loves when his kids do that. And, and when we're honest with him, even when we give the wrong answer, like God is not there, I don't see purity of heart. God doesn't draw that answer out of us so that he can then shame us or mock us. He, he draws that answer out of us so that he can then tenderly come to us with the particular grace we need to travel down that road with him. With, with the particular grace we need to walk further down that this road of purity of heart. So, so let's just ask those questions of our heart and be honest about them. So, so let's start with the question of desire. To be pure in heart means that we desire one thing. Jesus, when you look deep down in your soul, is that the overriding desire of your heart? Are you looking at God and saying, God, there's one thing I want, and that is you. Now, now notice the question. It's not, what do you want to want? It's no, like today, what is it that you want? What, what is the overriding desire and, and hope and dream and want of your heart? A few months ago, I, uh, I read a book by a guy, named, uh, a guy named James Smith. And uh, the book was called, You Are What You Love. And there's just this one illustration out of the book that I have not been able to shake. He, uh, he refers back to a, an old Russian movie called Stalker. And, uh, and when the movie opens, you have basically three men on a journey. You've got a professor, a guy named a professor, another one, writer, and then the last one is Stalker. And Stalker is kind of their like tour guide. He's the one taking them on this journey. And when the movie starts, we don't really know where they're going. That the destination is kind of shrouded in some mystery. We don't really know what it is. But as the movie unfolds, we realize that Stalker is taking them to a place called The Zone. And even more particular, he is taking them to a place within the zone called the room. And as the kind of the plot unfolds and the movie unfolds, we realize why they're all heading toward this place within the zone called the room. It's because when you walk into the room, the room will give you whatever you dream of. Like whatever you, whatever you want most, 
The, 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 the room will give you that. So, so they're all on their way to this room, place called the room so that they can get what they want. The, 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 the room's gonna give them that. But then all of a sudden they get there and this interesting thing happens. When they get to the threshold, a professor and writer, they, they get cold feet. Why, why don't you go first? No, no, I think uh, actually you can go first. They, they get cold feet. They, 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 they just now are hesitant about jumping into the room. Now, now, why is that? It's because this thought is beginning to dawn on them. I'm not sure I even know what I want. I, I'm not sure I, I know what's deep down there at the bottom of my heart. And they know when they walk into the room, they're not gonna get what they think they want most or what they wanna want most, they're gonna get what they actually want most. Is that not like a captivating like illustration? I just have not been able to shake that. I've had such good conversations with my kids about that. I just kind of walked them through that story and like these guys wouldn't go in and Cato's like, but dad, would, would you go in? I'm like, no, I don't wanna go in there either. I don't know what's gonna happen if, if I went in there. And, and I just had this moment with my kids of like, I know some of what I want, and, and some of what I want is terrible. It's evil, it's ungodly, it's sinful. That, that deep sort of swampy interior of my soul, I know some of what I want, but I, answering the question right now, what do I want most is a scary thing, isn't it? But that's exactly what Jesus is asking us to consider. If right now you walked into the room, what happens? You, you get what your heart wants most, what do you get? That's what Jesus is asking us to consider. And again, God as a good dad loves it when his kids are honest about the state of their heart. Even when our wants are dead wrongs and we're admitting that. Even when our dreams are dead wrong and we're admitting that. God, God loves that. He loves for us to bring that honest heart before him and he loves to deliver to our hearts the particular grace it needs to purify our wants and, and dreams. What, what I've just found myself praying over and over over the last couple of months is I'm just bringing impure once before the Lord and, and, I, and I'm just confessing those to, to him. And, and I'm just asking him over and over, God, would you just keep sifting my motives? Would, would you just keep sifting my wants? And as you keep sifting and, and, and purifying, God, would you, would you consolidate all my wants down into this one huge want, Jesus? God, would you make my heart such that when I walked into the room, the thing that I would get would be more of you. God, would you make my impure heart more pure like that? That's what this is, that's what this is leading us to. That's what Jesus is inviting us into. When you look at your heart, what do you see there? What do you want? Then there's the question of devotion. To be pure in heart means that we're devoted to Jesus, to one thing that the overriding devotion is to Jesus. But when you look in your heart right now, do you see an overriding devotion to Jesus? Is there anywhere in your life where you're saying, God, you can have all of this, but just not that. God, you can have all of me except this. It was interesting. I heard a guy use an illustration once to kind of describe this, just using a house. And he was talking about how, if you just imagine, you, you let a person come over to your house this weekend. They're gonna, they're gonna stay over kind of for the weekend. And you say, I'm leaving, the house is yours. But 
you, you stay out of that room in this room. The house is yours, except for these three rooms over here. Make sure you don't go there. What you're saying in that moment is, listen, I know that I'm saying the house is yours, but the house really is not yours. The house is mine and you're a weekend tenant. And this is the part of the house that you can go in. But let's just be clear. I'm the owner, you're the tenant. And, and in the same way, when we come to God and we start bringing the, the butts to God, the accept these rooms to God, what we're saying to God is, God, listen, let's just define the relationship. I'm the owner and you're the tenant here. But, but let's just be clear about that. I'm the one that ultimately calls the shots. Is there anywhere in your heart where you're doing that with God? See, we're so prone to look at God and say stuff like this. God, please come close, but, but only so close. I, here's the line that you can come to God, but don't come behind that line. Like here are the rooms that you're welcome to come on into, God, but, but here are the rooms that you're not welcome to come into. And, and anytime that we have a but in there, we have an accept this in there, it's showing us that we have multiple masters. It's showing us that we have an impure heart, that we don't have a single devotion. It's showing us our impurity. So, so just ask yourself those hard questions. Is there an overriding single desire, an overriding single devotion? Is your heart made of one substance? And, and let me finish here. Why, why do we need it? Why do we need it? Look again at Matthew chapter five, verse eight. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. For, for they shall see God. Now that word they is in an emphatic position. It's a way of Jesus where, where he's saying, um, and they, and they alone will, will see God. But, but these are the people who are gonna see God. It is the pure in heart. These are the, the people of one overriding desire, one, one overriding devotion. These are the people who are the sons and daughters of God. So in a lot of ways, Jesus is just clarifying for us what a Christian is. See, a lot of people have a wrong view of what a Christian is. Some people think that a Christian is a person who God has come to and God has delivered to that person new duties to, to get about doing in their life. That's not a Christian. A Christian is a person who God has come into and changed at the deepest, most fundamental level of their being. And he has not given them new duties. He's given them new desires new wants, new affections. That's a Christian. They're, they're people who can actually cry out with the psalmist as the deer pants for the water. God, my heart pants after you. That, that, that is a Christian. And that is who will see God. Now, now that tells us something about the good news of Jesus. The gospel doesn't just tell us about Jesus. It tells us about Jesus, but it doesn't just tell us about Jesus. By the power of the Holy Spirit, the gospel shows us the face of Jesus. See, that, that's, what, that's what the good news of Jesus, that's what the ultimate aim is of it. We, we looked at this last week, 1 Peter 3, 8, where it just this concise summary of the gospel. For Jesus suffered once for sin, the righteous for the unrighteous. Why did he do that? So that he might bring us to God. That's the purpose of the gospel. That's the purpose of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus is that he might bring us to God so that we can actually see God. That that promise would be true for us that we could see God. Now, now that promise of seeing God, that's a promise that we can cling to now. And it's a promise that we take with us into the future. But, but we can cling and apply that promise now. When you think about <coughs> divided desires, Jesus, I'll take a little of you, but I want some other things too. 
When you think about um, a heart that's full of divided sort of devotions, God, um, you can come this far, but, but no further. Is it any wonder that when we have an impure heart, divided devotions, divided desires, that, that God seems abstract and theoretical and like he's not real to us? I mean, is it any wonder that God feels that way when we have an impure heart? Like maybe as an imagery, you could think of it this way. D divided desires, d divided devotion is like mud on the windshield of our soul. It's like mud on the windshield. It, it blurs our vision of God. But repentance functions like the windshield wipers. We spray water on the windshield, we get the wipers going and repentance is that mechanism by which <coughs> the mud is scraped off of our soul so that we can see God again. Do you remember David, King David? Follower of God, King David, believer in Jesus, that, that King David, lover of God. Do you remember that horrible season in his life where he committed adultery and murdered a man to cover up his adultery? Do you remember that season? God eventually loved him enough to uncover his sin and David repented of it. In Psalm 51, we get to see a living, breathing example of repentance, of the windshield wipers clearing the, the human soul. And do you remember what David cries out to God in Psalm 51? He cries out and says, create in me a clean heart, O God. And I just wonder how many of us need to bring our repentance to God allow the windshield wiper of repentance to work where we just cry out along with David, God, create in me a clean heart again. God, wipe the mud off of my heart so that I can see you. I just wonder how many of us this morning need to do that with God. That we need to come to God honest about our impurity, repenting of it, begging and pleading with the Lord today to, to, to wipe our souls clean. And here's the great news. God loves to do that. You will never be so impure that God can't create a clean heart in you. you you'll, that'll never be true for any human being. God, God loves to create a clean heart in us so that we can see him. So, so we can apply that today. Now we can live in that promise, but we can also take that promise into the future and apply it then. In 1 Corinthians 13, Paul tells us that right now we see through a mirror dimly. I think about how we see God right now. Generally speaking, our view of God is mediated through several different means. One of those means is the scriptures. Like when you open up the Bible, the, the Holy Spirit in you shows you God in the scriptures. That's an amazing thing, isn't it? But, but it's mediated, we're, we're seeing it through the scriptures. It's a beautiful thing, but it's a mediated thing. Another way that we see God is through creation. This is Psalm 19.1, the heavens declare the glory of God. God has embedded pictures of him in a billion different ways into this created world. So that when you see a sunset, that multicolored sunset, that that is meant to point you beyond that sunset to the beauty of God who created it. Um, my heart over the last few months has just exploded for, for my youngest little daughter, Eva. I mean, I just look at her and I'm like, I don't know how I could love a human being as much as I love that girl. I still don't even know how that's possible. And, and that moment is meant to be a, a signpost pointing us beyond that moment. It's meant to take us beyond that moment to, to God's tender-hearted fatherly love for all of his sons and daughters. Do you, do you see that? Like when we look at this created world, we're just seeing God in it everywhere, but it's, it's a mediated sort of a scene. 
But do you know how the Bible ends? The, the Bible ends with the apostle John showing us in Revelation 21 and 22, that there will be a day where it's no longer echoes. It's no longer a sort of mediated view of God. There is coming a day where God is going to dwell with his people and his people are going to dwell with their God. And in that moment, we don't even need the sun because God is gonna be the sun for us. Like that day is coming for every son and daughter of God. And, and, and John is just anticipating that. He's living with this sort of like open-hearted awareness that that day is coming for me. And I love this moment in 1 John chapter 3, verse two, where John says, beloved, we, we are God's children now. Like we are right now God's children. And what we will be has not yet appeared. We, we are his children we know that, but, but all that God has in store for us, we, we can't even imagine it right now, he's saying. But, but he says, we know that when God appears, when he appears, we shall be like him. Here's why. Because we shall see him as he is. There is a day coming for the sons and daughters of God when God will open himself up and show his beauty in its fullness. And in that moment, it's going to feel like our hearts are going to burst with joy as we try to take him in. It's gonna feel like our hearts can't even contain it. And in this promise, Jesus is reminding us that, that they shall see God. He's reminding us that that, my friends, is in front of every son and daughter of God that is on the pathway to purity. It is, it is right out there in front of us. Can, can we pray together and just ask the Lord to help us see that? Will you bow your head and pray with me? To give you a moment to allow the Spirit of God to press into you what would be most helpful and to wipe away what would not be. And there is this prayer in Psalm 86, verse 11, where the psalmist looks up at God and says, Teach me your way, O Lord. Teach me your way. That, that I may walk in your truth. <clears throat> and then he brings this plea to God. Oh God, give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. G give me a pure heart, a heart made of a single substance, a single overriding desire, a single overriding devotion. God, give me an undivided heart. That, that's our prayer today. <coughs> that, that's what we're asking God to do today. So when you look at your soul, what, what are you seeing down there? What is it that you want? What 
what has your ultimate allegiance and devotion? You can be honest about that before God. God loves that. God loves it when his sons and daughters will do that. And God is inviting you now to take that courageous step and repent of that. God, give me an undivided heart. Create in me a pure heart, a clean heart, oh God. God, sift through my desires. God, help me see them and, and turn from them. And God, make me into a person with one overriding one one overriding devotion. God, would you do that for us today? God, would you take us there today by your grace? God, would you lead us there today? God, will you give us soft, pliable hearts that are willing, that are open, that are honest? And it's in your good name that we ask it. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Stonegate Church. A podcast is never meant to replace gathering with your church to hear the preaching of the Bible. So we want to encourage you to be part of a local church family. We meet every Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. and would love for you to join us as we enjoy Jesus together.